Happy November. Welcome to a, another edition of the VHF DX podcast. My name is Nick Langan. It's a, a pleasure to be with you. I'm joined as always by my co-host Bryce Foster. Bryce, how's uh, the fall been treating you? Good evening, Nick. It's pretty good. Uh, it's an abnormally little warm stretch here. It's beautiful. The leaves are in full bloom and the DX is good. You can't ask for anything more. How's, how's your fall been going? Yeah, I, I actually have to say this is this might be a first in our podcast history. I right now I'm I'm hearing your locals. Your locals are are coming in uh, as we speak. There's a nice little tropo opening starting. You know, it, it's sometimes you're it's hit or miss when you get to November. A lot of times the seasons here in like the Northeast could be over. You're you know looking forward to you know antenna you know spring cleaning or something, but. It's been a, a fairly active uh, fall tropo season, a um, couple of, of interesting openings. Um, so, you know, that uh, just enough to, to sort of keep you interested. And likewise, uh, some nice, you know, we've we got a string of 70s coming up for highs temperature wise the next few days down here in Jersey as well. So um, can't complain, can't complain. You know, it, 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 it keeps you interested. So the question is, is the... Tropo between, sorry, tropo between the two co-hosts, a good sign for a good podcast or not? We shall see. Uh, you know, now, like if if Halifax, Nova Scotia pops up like mid-episode, um, you know, this may become problematic. We may, this may be a dilemma that we've never faced uh, in the history of the podcast where, you know, I'm just going off the grid here. So we'll see. Right now, it's you know out to it's basically you know out to the uh, outer cape. I've got uh, your uh, local WFCC Chatham uh, coming in with its classical music. So um, you know it's a good problem to have. I guess I would uh, you know I, I'd leave it at that. Um, but some interesting you know we'll, we we so we have a great episode coming up. You know, speaking of Trapo, I feel like there's there's no probably one more authority on. Tropo patterns, forecasting Tropo. Um, we've got a great conversation lined up with uh, Bill Hepburn. Um, many DXers may know uh, the name just from the forecasts, so we'll we'll be talking with him. Um, and he, among other DXers, actually had some interesting propagation uh, this past October. There was it was a really interesting opening, Bryce. Um, the inland Tropo openings across the Appalachians. I think we've talked about it always fascinate me. Um, and there was an opening from Ontario down into the DC, Maryland, Virginia area. It was on the 25th of this month. Uh, Bill, um, John also uh, in uh, St. Catharines, uh, DXer. He, he's always very active identifying uh, uh, unidentified clips on the WTFDA forms, both head down to the DC area and the path was reversed as well. A couple of DXers, uh, David in uh, Northern Virginia, Lee in Richmond, uh, hearing Canadian signals. So uh, some interesting DX um, tropo-wise the past uh, month or so. And you'll have to stay tuned after our interview. Of course, we're coming back with audio clips and we have some from the October 25th um, opening from uh, the gentleman in Poughkeepsie. So stay tuned for that. 
Awesome. Chris, that's right. He, uh, he sent those in. So, um, that's, uh, you know, some, so some cool stuff, uh, some other Trapo too. uh, Steve rich as always out, uh, his, uh, Milford autologger site got down to Mississippi last month. Um, Chris, as you mentioned, um, so keeping it interesting, um, as we head into November, so, you know, that's that's basically what's gone on since we last chatted. And, we and thank you for, I'm my sorry. excellent. I'm sorry. I have to toot my own horn here. The I, I think probably my favorite um, Tropo event. I this is going to be question one for Bill. Is it Tropo or Tropo? I know it's Tropo because I think that's the troposphere. Right. Uh, anyway, stay tuned for the answer to that question. But I always say I always say tropo and I know I'm wrong. So anyway, my favorite of that type of opening uh, at this current location was just this past weekend. I mean, just an absolute banger. Uh, you up did. To Nova yep. Scotia, New Brunswick and PEI. Uh, a lot of fun. Uh, and I'll I'm going to play my clips for the first time at the end of the show as well. So stay tuned. I'll feature a couple uh, from that one. And I know some of um, New England friends got into that opening as well. Jeff up about 30 miles north of me, Jeff Lehman and uh, Keith in, uh, in Hingham, Mass as well. So it's been an eventful fall, definitely better than 2021. Big time. No, uh, that's, and, and what impressed me about that uh, Canadian Maritimes opening you guys had, it was multi-day too. Like it was like, um, you know, which happens, that's not unprecedented, but just as you said, it's been a while since we've had, you know, certainly since you've been in Massachusetts, Bryce, um, but even going back um, that we've had the weather patterns cooperate um, for a multi-day, you need obviously stable weather um, for such a setup to sustain itself. And it was a couple of days you had, you know, that 96.3 um, right on the uh, southern coast of Nova Scotia. I think, you know, all three of your autologers had that in, you know, including you and you've got a local um, on 96.3. So um, cool stuff. Um, and yeah, hoping that we can, before the weather pattern possibly changes mid month, um, hoping we can get one more, uh, really good one. Maybe it's tonight. Um, we shall see. Um, but you know, just an interesting with maybe some longer than usual down here, down here in Jersey. I mean, I, I just want the opportunities. I feel like maybe we've gotten a bit unlucky with, a few of the openings setting up a bit to the West, a bit, uh, you know, the, the Nova Scotia, we got a little fringe. I had a couple Halifax signals. Um, so hoping, you know, maybe just one killer Maine or Carolina opening. We'll see. Um, but just the fact that there's opportunities and it's November 3rd, I don't take that for granted because there's been seasons where that hasn't happened. So. Amen. But all right. Well, talking trapo talking uh you know how these things set up um we're really privileged to have on the podcast uh when bryce and i were coming up with names of folks in the uh the dx the vhf dx stratosphere to talk to um he may have been number one i i i don't want to i i, I you know i don't want to tell a white lie or anything uh but mr bill hepburn uh, very might, you know, was at the top of the list and he joins us uh, from his DX shack in Grimsby, Ontario. Uh, Bill, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, how are you this November evening? Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, uh, Nick and Bryce, and ready to talk about uh, what, what I've been doing in DXing all these decades. 
We got a lot to catch up on. Yeah. It's uh it's awesome. It's awesome. So so Bill, I guess you know, we could start. Um, I can speak from my own experience because I I, you know, sort of a, a weather geek. I I'm interested in, you know, I I don't have deep, I, you know, I feel like I I probably should know more than than I do sometimes, but I keep an eye on the weather patterns, uh, climate, you know, climate data. I'm you know, just sort of like a data junkie. I I and I try to stay up on what the forecast models are showing. Um your career is based in meteorology. Can you talk a little bit about your career path and how you ended up getting interested in both the weather and then maybe eventually how it connected or how it led into your DX hobbies as well? Well, the, the meteorology and the DX actually started out separately, but they have an, a, a root and the root was geography. Um, I'm an immigrant from Scotland. I remember my dad, I was four years old. He put a big map on the floor and said, this is where we are. This is where we're going. And I was just hooked on geography. Wow. So eventually when I was uh, seven years old, I remember looking in the TV guide and they always had those extra channels that you couldn't get. And that, that always was in the back of my mind. But my first DX happened trying to get up early in the morning to watch a cartoon that I had never seen. But I said, I want to see this cartoon. So I got <laughs> up at seven o'clock in the morning before the family got up. I was tuned into channels and there's something on 12 ICU news. You know, that kind of caught my eye the WICU Erie. That was my first ever DX. And that was the only time I ever did that. And I did fiddle around with, my parents' TV in the bedroom, trying to get some of those other channels in the TV sure, guide, but sure. I never got anything. Um, my, my next DX thing was uh, when we moved and my dad got a TV antenna up on the roof. So I said, okay, I'm going to do the same thing again. Get up at 7 o'clock in the morning to see what's there. 11 Toledo came in before Ooh. my local came on. That was 235 miles. So I think that was my first real DX. Again, I didn't do it again for a while. Um, as far as weather, I started off with astronomy and then that morphed into weather. And I think around 12 years old, I decided to start taking weather ops every day. With DXing, I decided one day that I'm going to check for DX every day, just like the weather ops. Wow. So wow. I, I think it was July 25th, summer holidays. I decided I'm going to check at seven o'clock in the morning every day to see what's going on. So my first day, Columbus, Ohio on Channel 6 came in, broke my record. I go, this is great. Third day, I'm watching um, the news at supper time. I decided I'll just check and see what's coming in. Channel 3, Pensacola, Florida. Ah, there's Blew my the mind away. I had no idea. So I'm thinking, like, I, I got Toledo, I got Columbus. How do I get Florida without getting, like, Nashville and Atlanta and all the ones in between? I had no idea about what was going on. And I had a magazine communications world i think it was called and it had the li the list of the clubs in there it had the wtfda and that's when i wrote and then i found out about skip and that's where my how about how my dx started yeah that's i i feel like the analog tv days were so foundational for like so many so many that that we've talked to so many that that you just hear from um obviously hard to replicate uh and it's just funny you mentioned geography too i also think that's just as if not you know integral to all of this just because 
Um, it plays so much a role of like, where are the stations coming from? What's the potential target area? And just sort of that, you know, affinity for mapping. I share all that as well. So um, that's that's fast. And this was all correct in sort of in the, the same neck of the woods you are today in Southern Ontario. It was in Niagara correct? Falls. That's my okay. hometown. Okay. Gotcha. 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 Uh, fascinating. So where where did um, things go from there to the point where meteorology became sort of like a, a career consideration for you? Well, I just thought it was, you know, something I wanted to do as a living. I, I, I researched it at school and I found out they have like hundreds of stations all across Canada and you get to work anywhere in Canada. And then I found out I could work in the Arctic. I got interviewed and they said, would you work up in Resolute Bay and all these places? I said, sure, I'm, I'm 18, you know, why not? So um, my first posting with the weather service was up on Ellesmere Island, 80 degrees north, mm. 300 miles from the North Pole, 24-hour dark, 24-hour light. It's kind of neat because it only takes two weeks to go from one to the other. So let's say the sun sets at 5 o'clock tonight. Tomorrow it would be 5.30. day after it would be 6. Wow. 6.30. It only takes two weeks to go from one to the other. So that was kind of cool. I did take some radios with me because I thought of AM DX and shortwave DXing. Um, FM DXing. <laughs> There were no FM stations in, in Eureka. We were 2,000 miles away from Toronto. So I all I knew about double hop and double skip was that it was pretty rare, and I've never saw anybody in the club ever get it. So I just – and when I got there, there were mountains in all directions except for west, and west is not the direction you want because that's aimed at, like, Siberia. So I just thought no FMDX. I left after a year and a half with a grand total of – zero stations on FM. So <laughs> that was that was Eureka. Now Resolute Bay, when I went to there, it's a little farther south. It's flatter, no mountains at all. And I did have a local, 105.1. I think it was a grand 76 watts, something like that. But it was just still too far north. I mean, you're, you're still talking 1,500 miles just to get to the fringe of, mm. you know, the central Manitoba stations and stuff like that. So I tried, but it, during the summer, and it was I had nothing, and I just I just had a radio with a portable, like a, with a whip and stuff. It, so even if something enough. happened, like I you know, the chance of like it. amplifying it to to be, yeah, it's it's. You know, so it's, I kind of um, concentrated on on AM. Uh, my third posting was Hall Beach in the Dew Line, again further south. And uh, back then, by the way, this was all the Northwest Territories. I know now it's Nunavut, but back then it was still the NWT before it split in half. Um, Hull Beach was interesting for AM. I got really deep into like South American places that you wouldn't expect being so far north, but it was pretty cool. Now, FM was weird. Um, again, I didn't get anything, like any skip, but the locals were kind of weird. I had a 106.1, which was the local CBC slash Inuit stations where a couple hours a day they would be local. But uh, when I tutored around, I had a station on 109.05, and it was KMBR, Kansas City, Missouri. 
and somebody at the do line must have picked it up on a satellite and decided they're going to broadcast it. Wow. wow. And I actually logged it twice because of the fact that it changed frequency to 108.25 later on. <laughs> so I had a grand total of, well, I still only counted that as two, two stations altogether because the, the move was less than a megahertz, but I guess I could still count. count. Yeah, it still counts. Yeah, yeah. Still counts. That's... 1.2, right? Yeah. So that was Hall Beach. Um, when I finally went to Coral Harbor, that was finally far enough south to get skipped. And that was in July of 1984. So I had with me my first scanner ever. I, like I had DX'd all my life with just these analog radios. You never knew if you were on 88.7 or 88.5. It was just a, a mess. Sure, sure. I finally yeah. had a scanner with a digital readout and it covered the FM band. So perfect. So I tried for skip during the daytime, nothing, nothing, nothing. Finally, I think it, it was like 1030 at night. I finally got skip. And I think my first station, actually, you know what? I, I have to, I have the VUD in front of me for back there. The first station was the CITI Winnipeg 92.1. And the MUF was right up to like 107.9. Fascinating. That's So Winnipeg, I think it was about 1,100 miles. And if you look at the, the map, like there's not much north of Winnipeg. So most of my receptions of civilization were like that 1,000 to 1,500 range. And that, that 500 to 1,000, there really wasn't much there. So I would get Winnipeg, Edmonton, uh, stations like that. Um, I think into the U.S. I got into North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, mm. uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota. I was as I was as far as I could, I could get. I could not get any further south because we we're already starting to push fourteen the high fourteen hundreds. Uh, and again, I, I wasn't trying for double hop because I I was still at the stage where as a DX I didn't know enough about it. But it was it was pretty cool. The stations coming in, and I would I would tell the people at the station, "Hey, I'm listening to uh, to Regina on FM," and they would just say so because they they'd be listening to Regina on AM every night, and they they didn't know what's the big deal, FM, right? Like who cares? So I just kind of kept it to myself, did my own thing. Um, my furthest reception was St. John's, Newfoundland. I think it was pushing sixteen hundred and, and something, and that was while I was working. I was in the I was at the weather station and they had a stereo and I was just twiddling around and there was Oz FM, St. John's. So that was kind of cool. Now, if you're wondering about what's different between up there and down here is um, the timing. Almost all of my openings, 9.30 p.m. Yeah. to mid to 1 a.m. I think 8 o'clock was the earliest I ever got skipped. And wow. it went into like 3 a.m. Now, I, I did look into, um, like, why is this? And the ITU, International Telecommunications Union, splits the world into three different zones for SCIP. They have the, um, the, the tropical, like equatorial tropical, where there's, like, SCIP every day. Well, not every day, but uh, all year round with two main peaks, summer and winter. Then we have the... Uh, the temperate zone where most of us live now, where it's a summer phenomena. And then they have the auroral zone and it's uh, nighttime. It's not so much daytime. It's a nighttime skip. Interesting. And, Interesting. Yeah. The theory is it has to do with uh, 
electrification in the ionosphere, like it peaks at night as opposed to the, the, the day. And, you know, none of us know what the causes of skip are, but I think there's multiple factors. And one of them must be that, uh, you know, the auroral factor as well as, you know, meteor dust and wind shear and all the other theories that are out there. So I thought that was kind of neat. It was, it was a late time phenomenon. When I sent in my report, Saul was the editor back then. And I think he was surprised by the, the lateness of my skip. So I guess this is something that maybe we could learn. I mean, I know definitely those of us in the northern half of the U.S., I, at least I find it interesting to get up into the more like remote areas of, say, Quebec and up into the Maritimes. It might be worth perhaps checking later in the day versus, you know, maybe you when we'd normally look in the mid-morning and the afternoon, like maybe it's worth turning your antenna north if you're like doing unintended recordings or something, maybe thinking that something rare is going to pop in from uh, from up in the Arctic zones. Because there are certainly, uh, I think probably today more so than back then, a lot of CBC relays and, and um, you know, uh, indigenous broadcasts from up in those zones that are possible for some of us. Yeah, definitely. I'm checking later at, at night. Now, in the east, I think it's a little more difficult because Nunavut is so sparsely settled and the stations are so low powered and they're almost all on 1051, 1061 or 1071. So it's unless you have those ones clear. I think the Western DXers, they have a real good chance of getting, uh, you know, Yellowknife, Alaska, Fairbanks, uh, Whitehorse, those type of places. I think they should really be looking out for double hop at nighttime, like 10 p.m. to, to 1 a.m. local time. It's All right. Well, that's, I've never thought of that before. I mean, that's a really interesting thought. I mean, for our USDXers. Yeah, and definitely. I feel just anecdotally, I've noticed um, when the Winnipeg, for example, you know, just mentioning Winnipeg, when those openings happen, it's not always the case. We've had a couple morning Manitoba surprises, but 10 30 11 at night i'm pretty sure there was one even this past july um sometimes that ends up aligning so um it makes sense then that you know if you're pushing even even higher latitudes and i know you mentioned saul uh, bill saul i know i think there's a 92.9 norway house uh up uh, pretty high latitude in manitoba um pretty sure he's the only one who who you know it, has logged it or, or has known to, to, to look for it. Um, but the, the late timing makes sense. I think to an, to an extent, you can sort of see that manifest just by what we get uh, when those, you know, Canadian prairies openings happen. So um, is that, you know, among some of the propagation patterns, uh, was that something that stood out? And were there any other propagation patterns up there specifically when you did, you know, when you set up shop for that short time in, in Coral Harbor uh, that stood out to you? No, basically that all I had was skip because I had one local, 29 watts, blasting away at 29 watts and the band was empty and there was no trapple scatter. Uh, the next nearest station was 205 miles away and it was 76 watts at Cape Dorset. And the closest DX I got besides my local was 830 miles to Fort Albany, Ontario, which is right on the Hudson Bay coast. And uh, from where I am now, that's pushing 1500 miles probably. Mm. 
So, so yeah. I was going to ask, so you, you talk about having like an old analog radio at these sites. You, I'm, I'm assuming nobody up there would really have like TV antennas because there's no TV broadcasting even in those days, in those regions. So I'm sure you never had a chance to DXTV up in these well, sites, right? I, actually, I, I did. I did DXTV and there were TV stations up there. And, and in Eureka, even, we had our own TV station it was wow, seven really? miles away because the the satellite dish would be aimed in the mountains at Eureka. So they had it seven miles away, aimed south, almost horizontal. I think the the elevation angle was one degree, and um, we had a TV station there transmitting the Channel Nine signal seven miles to where we were, and there was a military who set that up. So that's that's not like we went and did this build a station seven miles away. But uh, we had that station at Channel 9. So I had one TV login in Eureka. And most of the sites up there had a low-power CBC relay. Either CBC owned it or it was a local, locally funded uh, station. And it was all satellite-fed. Um, so at the Coral Harbor, I did get um, Escanaba, Michigan, Channel 3, uh, 3 Duluth, mm. um, the Prairie stations, you know, like the usuals, 2 Regina and 3 Winnipeg stations like that. I had a few tentatives that were a little farther south, three Barrie, which isn't too far away for where, where I am right now, and uh, pretty close to where Saul is. So, um, yeah, TV was okay. It was all just audio, though. I wasn't using much uh, video because I was trying to, to be around my scanner to listen to FM. One thing I did notice, too, is the FMs were always, sorry, the MUFs were always, like, right to the top of the band. Like when it showed up, it just shot right up it's, to 1079. Hmm. It was pretty amazing that way. I'm sure some of that too is just having like every frequency available. I think sometimes we miss oh, yeah. the MUF going up because of all the Definitely. flutter, you know, it might yep. be up there. We just can't hear it. It so. just gets missed depending on what part of the band is workable. Oh, uh, I totally, totally agree. I either had nothing or everything. It was like, <laughs> like what Randy has in Nevada, but maybe just a, a touch better. And no tropical scatter to worry about. So, so yeah, we just need good. somebody to lug some modern like equipment up to one of these towns. So, so I guess before we move on to, to audio, which is I think what we're going to do next. I mean, did I guess kind of just outside of DXing? I mean, what was the experience like of living in these these places for a time? I mean, just interacting with the locals, going about your daily business. I mean, did. Did you enjoy it other than DXing? Oh, yeah. what is it, have you been back to visit since? I haven't been back, but it was it was awesome. Now, the first place I went to was the most unique because there was no local community. There was only us, the weather station, 300 miles around. Mm. Population eight in the winter, 11 in the summer. Um, we, we did all the radios there, too. We, we were... Um, on VHF 122.8, we had HF, we had an LFRTTY, we were customs, we were air radio, I was the postmaster, I was a deputy electoral <laughs> officer once when we had our three eligible voters, we were everything. <laughs> so that was the, the funnest place. It was like being on a moon or another planet. Um, the other three places, we had small Inuit communities and it was always fun visiting the village the hamlets because they were so friendly the inuit you know they'd invite you into their house and they'd be giving you you know fish like char to take back and uh, 
it was it was awesome that's awesome yeah. that's awesome yeah. that's and and what kind of was there any like you know research as far as the 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 weather realm that you did up there um like what were your roles what were your duties uh specifically uh well, we were more just uh, standard observing. We would do the radio songs, the weather balloons, okay. Okay. Um, observations, like every hour with specials in between the hour or something changed. So we did a 24-hour weather watch. We did ozone songs to measure the ozone once a week. Um, not at my station, but at one of the other ones, they had a seismometer because it's one of the most sensitive spots in the world because it's so quiet. Mm. And they'd pick up earthquakes on the entire globe from this one spot oh, wow. Bay, it was called that is so since cool. since then they they do have a new observatory up at eureka with um, like researchers who take turns from all around the world that go up there and visit so it's still a busy place i mean it was it's busy in the summer and then dead in the winter in the winter you get one plane every six weeks but in the summer we had guys exploring the North Pole. They'd all used Eureka as the launching point. Ah, wow. And, uh, wow. you know, we had the BBC would be there docu you know, doing a documentary on them and stuff like that. So it was, it was fun. I loved interesting. it up there. I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry for Eureka right now. Very interesting. See, the geography is, I think, it is does. It binds just, us it, all together. Never heard of this place before. And now, now I want to go there. Yeah. Now I want to spend summer 2023 there. If nothing else, <laughs> like get a rabbit ears, <laughs> autologger, uh, you know, and maybe, you know, if it ever gets something, it would be like the coolest thing ever. But, uh, oh, yeah. Well, very good. So I think before we move on from the Arctic topic here, you have a few audio clips for us today. So since you're the special guest, we'll uh, we'll play these early before the rest of the clips at the end of the show. So you sent us four of these. So I guess we'll kind of go through them one at a time. So the first one you sent, you talked a little bit about the locals on 105.1, 106.1 and 107.1. So these are all from Coral Harbor, right? Um, yeah. All four. Okay. All right. So the first one's uh, CJZS 107.1. And uh, this is kind of like a legal ID type of thing for the network at the time. Could talk a little bit about that that local and uh, well, what they did. Back, back in the 80s and 90s, Canada got really bad at not using call signs. I mean, I, I remember Bruce Elving, who was in the club, longtime DXer, and he says, you can't count a station unless you have call signs. Oh, yeah. I told <laughs> Bruce, I said, I said, Bruce, I haven't logged half my locals because they never use call signs. <laughs> um, they're a lot better now, except for the CBC. They still don't use call signs. So this station is a satellite-fed repeater. It did two hours a day of local um, programming. Um, this is the sign-off. It's from CFFB Iqaluit, the AM station, the main station. And then Coral Harbor was just a repeater of it. Very good. And obviously this is, uh, this was just within the town, right? I mean, within a few, probably hundred meters of your location at the time, right? Well, it was seven miles away. Oh, this, that's okay. All right. At yeah. The and the CJZS, yeah. by the way, just to yeah. let you know. <laughs> All right. See. Okay. All that's, right. Uh, that's, that's good we'll do Zed today, just in the spirit <laughs> of Canada. Okay. Right. Bill, is, Bill is wearing his uh, Canadian hockey vest. So we're in the spirit. The, this would be, you know, normally this would not be a good video podcast, just speaking for myself, but with, with Bill's shack, with Bill's attire, 
it's a shame we're we're not making use of the video capabilities today. I must say, um, very good. Well, we'll go ahead and play this uh, CJZS one hundred seven point one. You are listening to the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's Northern Radio Service, which is heard on transmitters in Arctic Bay, Broughton Island, Cape Dorset, Clyde River, Frobisher Bay, Grease Fjord, Hall Beach, Igloolik, Lake Harbor, Nanacific, Pangnertoe, Pond Inlet, Resolute Bay, Santa Kilowack, and Outpost Camps. This station will be back on the air at 6 a.m. Okay, so the next clip we have is from the western part of Canada. I think this is the most distant of the three of the four clips that we got. So this is CFCR in Red Deer, Alberta. Tell us a little bit about this one, Bill. Well, I picked this one because I had a lot of local information, had the local weather forecast and so on. And it's about the far as far west as I, uh, I picked up. But Calgary, Red Deer, um, the Montana station, which I forget the city right now, unfortunately, but this is a good representation of the Western openings that I, that I got. Very good. So this again, CFCR and Red Deer, Alberta. This is about 2,200 kilometers or 1,360 miles from uh, that location in Coral Harbor, according to Google Maps. See the professionals, Central Alberta Collision, and get the best job your money can buy. Guaranteed. Central Collision, 7667 49th Avenue, north of Truck Town. Central Alberta weather clears canvas for this evening with lows around 13 degrees. Just a few clouds for Wednesday with a high of 30. Our chance of rain is 10% for this evening and also for Wednesday. The outlook for Thursday is calling for increasing cloudiness. Currently in Rocky, it is 21 degrees. Calgary's at 20. It's 25 in Edmonton this hour, 22 degrees in Coronation, and we're at 21 degrees in Red Deer. Okay, and the next one's from the United States. Uh, uh, you mentioned North and South Dakota coming in from Coral Harbor there. So this one, it's a funny, funny thing. This is familiar, I think. I feel like a lot of people pick up this station today. Top 40 format sounded a little different at the time. So tell us a little bit about uh, this clip of KIZZ. Yeah, I picked this one because, again, it's uh, your typical U.S. station back in the 80s. And, um, you know, they had Michael Jackson promo, and I just thought it was uh, representative of the DDX from that era. Very good. Yeah, it's kind of fun to we're, we're getting classic air checks and DX clips all at the same time. So here we go. KIZZ and Minot, North Dakota. Listen for the Jackson's medley and KIZZ for your chance to win. KIZZ winners will win a Whopper meal complete with Pepsi and a victory poster. Apply for the grand prize drawing to be held August 31st at Minot's Burger King. 145 prizes. Victory Tour t-shirts, posters, 10 satin victory And of course, the grand prize. Okay, and the last one we have, it's just a real brief clip, but uh, I thought it was interesting just from a geographical perspective, I guess, right on the other side of the Hudson Bay there from uh, Coral Harbor. So I think you talk, we talked about this already being your, your shortest reception. Was this the only time you heard this? And um, tell us a little bit about this one. Yeah, this is, this is my second farthest station in my log. So my closest was seven. My second was 830, which I don't think too many people have as their number two. Uh, this is CBCI 1023 Fort Albany, and it's a relay of 96.1 Timmins, uh, which you'll, you'll hear on a clip. And I, I introduced this because it's my own, one of my only eastern catches and mm -hmm. uh, because it's hard to get from down here in the south. 
Very good. So our final clip here, CBCI. We're on your dial at 96.1 FM. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Thanks for sending this, uh, Bill. I think it's like, it's so cool to hear the clips again, like the classic, you know, 1980s broadcasts. And I mean, not alone. Yeah. Yeah. And this is these DX locations. Uh, like I said, I think it would be fantastic if, you know, I think the closest we have right now is Randy out there in the Western United States, but I feel like there's a lot of DX treasures to be had in the, uh, in the Arctic and probably in the Antarctic regions for that matter. If, uh, if only we had receivers at them. So somebody has like a lot of money they want to donate to put some uh, remote receivers out in these locations. Now that we have like Starlink, I, I don't know, this would be cool. I'd, I'd love to hear what could be done these days. But uh, barring that, these, these little clips from the 80s, super fun. Thank you for those, Bill. Hey, no problem. Absolutely. So I think we'll kind of move on to a little bit to uh, Bill Hepburn today. So uh, I guess tell us a little bit about, you know, coming, coming back to your, to your Grimsby location. Obviously you, you did these uh, three or four years up there in the Arctic. What, uh, what transpired with your career and, and, and when did you end up kind of coming back down into uh, the, the populous Ontario there? Well, after the Arctic, I, I still did some moving around a, a DX from Thunder Bay, Ontario for a while, which was an awesome spot. I think I had like three or four FM locals. I would get Minneapolis 24 hours a day with tropical scatter, 330 wow. miles. It was, I Like now it's crowded because I know Kate, Chris uh, Cadlick. Yes. How you pronounce his yes. He does his Great Lakes tour and he said Thunder Bay was a horrible spot to DX from where I was thought it was the best spot because Paradise. now it's loaded with locals now. Yeah. So uh, Thunder Bay, I was in Kingston for a while. Uh, Peterborough, and then Toronto. Eventually, I moved to Brampton. That's where I put up a tower and, and DXing for several years. Like you guys are mentioning the Appalachians, I used to get Channel 14 audio from Arlington, Virginia, 24 hours a day from Brampton. Again, about bet. 300 miles. Wow, just normal yeah. conditions. Just Yeah, that wow. was the analog days. You, you could get that, you know? Can't replicate that anymore on TV. No. That's I used uh, to, wow. When I moved here in Grimsby, um, once I got married and wanted to be back into Niagara, I was in early 2000s. And just before the transition, I would get 33 Burlington, Vermont in by travel scatter with video. Mm. And mm. Ottawa or Hull, Quebec on 30. So things were pretty good in the analog days. Once the digital came, there's no more of that, uh, that type of travel scatter. So now I, I have a tower. It says... I have to go all the way up to 64 feet because even though I'm on the escarpment and I, I'm 300 feet above the town below, I'm not all the way at the top. I'm about 90% of the way. So I have that extra 30 feet to overcome. So I have to put the tower up higher. Um, it's, it's a good location, but problem is I'm pointing in the wrong direction. I'm pointing north to, to my locals and where there's no DX stations because everything's to the south in the U.S., unfortunately, but I'm still doing pretty good to the south. I, I can't complain. It's uh, it's pretty good. Um, I use uh, an ICOM R8600 as my main FM receiver now. Um, I'm the guy who actually introduced Andrew Knaffel to that one. <laughs> Which we've talked about. I did not realize because yeah. he has had some, 
you know, and he is, you know, maybe not right under the Akron Towers, but he's very close. Yeah. Um, and Overload seems receiver. to, oh, it, it seems I, I am extremely impressed. So that that is what you, you use, you know, because I, I know I, I think you've probably experimented with an air spy. Is that a little too overload happy yeah, that, where you're at? It's just not the same. Like, uh, I used to DX weather band using scanners for years and I always had to, to deal with overload from pagers and all that stuff back when there were thousand watt pagers blasting. Mm. Right? And until I finally coughed up the bucks for our 8,500, the predecessor to the 8,600, then now I finally had a VHF receiver that was bulletproof and I could, I could DX the weather band and, get my 800 mile stations from Arkansas. You've had some, yeah, like that. that was so it's, September 2020, yeah. I believe. Correct. Uh, yeah, that was, had, that was amazing. So strong. So I upgraded to the 8600. I still have my 8500 uh, there as a backup doing things in the background. Um, as far as TV, I use an old black and white TV. Or, well, I guess it's color. Most of the signals are black and white. But it is a color TV. That I use for uh, the, the Latin American stuff. Um, I also have my the autologers, and I have the same standard tuners as everybody else has for the autologers. For FM, actually, thanks to uh, to Bryce and yourself, I ended up getting the AirSpy HF Discovery because it it is bulletproof in the FM band, and I need that point north. And um, I have the usual home run for the TV autologers and, and things like that. Now you think being up on the escarpment that I have an advantage for distance in certain directions. I do to the east towards uh, northern New England and so on, and to the northwest up towards Duluth. But most of it's north at my locals. And even though they're 33 miles away, there's so many of them and so much uh, power. It's just... Is that the CN Tower where most of them? The CN Tower. It's tough. And, And Chris, again, the the DXery went all around the Great Lakes, checking out spots, picked my spot as one of the top five worst <laughs> places to DX from. <laughs> Congratulations. So, I'm amazed I could get anything. <laughs> no, that's, I, I, I'm thinking about it too. I mean, obviously Toronto is a, a extremely saturated dial, but then you've got, you know, Buffalo is like market, I, mean, I think it's still a top 50, you know, Nielsen market. Um, and then just with the, as I'm sure you're well-versed with, like the Great Lakes Enhancement, when it kicks up Erie, uh, Rochester, the London, Ontario flamethrowers. So you've got, you know, obviously I, I know we here on the East Coast complain, um, but that's, that is not particularly now that, you know, within the last decade, HD coming to Canada, there's a lot. It does, you know, I, I feel like this It does. Is it still worthwhile? Do, do, do you do, do the obstacles, you know, are there headaches and, and have you experimented a little bit? I believe you have uh, with phasing over the years um, as far as to overcome some of those obstacles. Yeah, I, I do. I do have a home brew um, phaser. I got the design from a guy in Australia, the Xer, Todd Emsley. So I copied his design. I've been using that. I tried using the um, the RSP Duo, but I, I just get too much overload. I, I just can't use That's it. And if I downside. if I turn the dials yeah. down, then there's no sensitivity. Yeah. So just... Yep. I understand. But um, yeah, I understand. phasing helps a bit, but 
a lot of times you're just phasing just to get Ibok from another different station, you know, so. I remember, I, I, I remember recall you bringing that up and I do, I do see that sometimes, you, you know, it's beautiful, but when it's just unearthing a 45 mile semi-local that you could hear all the time in the past, what good is it? You know, those are the things in 2022 that, that you have to put up with, but um, you've still had some great stuff. Um, you know, South Dakota on Trapo, uh, you know, I'm thinking maybe six, seven years ago, Vermilion. Yeah. Um, and I believe a New Brunswick VHF high on uh, Channel 8, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It was I, Channel I, I... 8 main, but very close to the New okay. Brunswick border. Okay. But Which I have is... had weather band into New Brunswick and get that Gas is... Bay. Gas Bay that, that is quite the, the Trapo path from, from out there. So that's, uh, that's, so you keep doing it. That's, um, is there like an opening that stands out to you over the past couple of decades? Anything that, that comes to mind as far as like, you know, among your, your DX accomplishments? Uh... Well, the one you mentioned in Arkansas, of course, is the, the top one. There was one a few years back that, um, I got weather band from Kansas to the west of Kansas City. Wow. That was a pretty good opening. Wow. And wow. Then, of course, then there was a Kansas City TV reception. So that's the one that made me say, okay, I can't complain about my location because that broke my record. It was that's... 830 miles from here. It's That was pretty it's, amazing. It's funny. You know, there's a lot of obviously – you know, local saturation, but I feel like some of the best DX over the years has come from your neck of the woods, including like where you're at, but then also like uh, Bob Sable, I believe the gentleman's who, um, oh, Dunkirk he, area. He got amazing stuff oh, from there. some of his, like the tales, oh. like we could do a whole episode on some of, you know, into Texas. And um, so that San just Antonio. that. Yeah. But like San once Antonio, get, Texas from my area is just insane. Mind blowing, mind blowing. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So like once you, I don't know if it's just because you're a little, you know, the first spot west of the Appalachians and then you have the lakes. I'm not quite sure what it is, but some, and it's funny too. We also, I know sometimes notice just you're, you're in a good setup for skip too. Um, obviously people like Rob Ross in, in London, you know, all summer long, the openings seem to, so it, you know, despite the, the saturation, it seems like there's no shortage of openings where, where you're at. Uh, yeah. That's, that's the good part. You know, if you were in a spot where there are hardly any openings and you had a saturated dial, I could see that kind of, uh, rowing in the towel. Yeah. 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 But that that's... is why I do weather band a lot though, because weather band still has some empty DXable channels and with a thousand Watts on the stations. I mean, they, they can punch through when they're on that narrow FM. So I encourage other DXers to try the weather band if uh, they're, they're finding FM too clogged up. What do you do for an antenna there? And then follow-up question, tell us a little bit about Canadian um, weather broadcasts. Uh, the Canadian weather broadcasts, I used to actually look after maintaining the network in Ontario for a while. The unfortunate thing about the Canadian broadcast is they were really good up until, I forget what year, in the early 90s, where they decided to make them bilingual across the country, regardless of whether there were any French or English-speaking people in those particular communities, and it doubled the length of the cycle, and that just made it harder to listen to. And for warnings and things like that, it just made it less useful. So weather radio still plugging away here in Canada, but I don't know how many less listeners there are versus in the U.S. where it's taken a little more seriously. But even in the U.S., I think um, its time is is dated because 
you know, everybody has a cell phone and gets alerts on their phones now. So, so as long as weather radio is there, we're going to keep on DXing it. But I know it's it's not going to last forever. Well, fingers crossed. It really is a good opportunity, probably underutilized. And, and the Canadian stations, are they in the same 162.4 through .55, or do they operate in any frequencies outside of that range? They're on the same seven channels. Uh, the only difference we have is in the early 70s, um, the Coast Guard stations here in Canada decided to also have their own continuous broadcast for the Mariners. And they're on they're in the marine band, so that's like 161.65 and 0.775, just below the weather radio band. The United States Coast Guard does weather broadcasts, but they only do like a couple a day. And they all use the same frequency, 157.1. And it's, it's kind of weird how they do it too, because they might have a network of say eight stations in Massachusetts and Maine, and they'll broadcast on all of them all at the same time. And you hear these echoes of all the various stations. When they, when they sign off, you, you can hear like three or four echoes of sign-offs. Dropping off. I, I, I <laughs> yeah, think I know exactly. what you mean. That's... So yeah, so the U.S. Coast Guard broadcast should be excellent target for Americans with no locals on, on those bands because a lot of the ship to shore is, is gone now because a lot of the people along the shore just use cell phones. So... I'm amazed that more DXers in the U.S. aren't trying for these because they could get some amazing receptions. Great. And a plug for your website, I actually, so that opening I talked about last weekend, I, I um, picked up a couple of the 161 uh, Marine stations in Nova Scotia there, and I was scratching my head trying to figure out where they were, and somebody pointed me to your site. You have a really nice like layout of all the marine stations in canada at your uh, your website there dxinfocenter.com so thank you for maintaining that and lots of other sets of data on your site i i think that'll be our next topic would be your your web assets so um it, i don't know if you want to give us a little bit of a history on what what uh, got you interested in, in doing uh, forecasting for, for Tropo and, and setting up DX Info Center and, and just sort of that whole saga. I think Nick found, we were actually, we were debating amongst ourselves, like when did Bill start doing this? And we think that it started as like sort of text like updates a daily to our email. Yeah. On the, you know, the early days of the WTFDA email reflector, which I'm very sad that the archives of that are not available. I'll have to ask Mike. He may, maybe he has them saved because I, like I said, I joined the club in 2005. Um, but I would, you know, this is actually a, you know, a, a fun thing for me to do. I would go back and, and look. They were hosted at Topica, I believe. Um, I remember in the early days, um, you would post kind of like a summary. So, um, you know, I'd love to hear like where you came up with the idea. Um, was it connected with anything you were doing in your career at that point? Um, and just how your your web presence has evolved uh, to, to begin with. Well, when I was a teenager initially, DXing up and oh, by the way, you can say tropo or trap or you know what the problem is in our weather office. There's a there's a thing called a, a tropo pause, which is the 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 dividing line between okay. the troposphere and the stratosphere. So tropopause, but we would say troposphere. Mm. 
So is it tropo? Is it tropo? It's both. You can you use can either go way. either way. Okay. Thank you. Because so, Bryce is tropo. I think I'm usually tropo. Um, although sometimes I think tropo sounds cooler. So all right, we'll interchange. It's, it's that, either. That, that so, I, I call it tropo, but it's yeah. Anyways, um, so I, I always looked up at the at the sky the weather while the travel was going on and i was wondering if there was a link like one thing i noticed there's always like clear blue skies a lot of the time i mean now i know there's it could be foggy and whatnot but you know i was i was wanting to do it so anyways in, in 1997 i remember there was this get together in branford i don't know if you guys um remember the name bruce hall i don't think he's an active dxer but he was on the board not too long ago okay okay so bruce hall was a dxer in branford and he was prolific in the 90s he was picking up all sorts of stuff from from branford it's just not too far away from from niagara so there was saul chernis uh greg coniglio from buffalo and bruce hall and we were all at a get together to check out bruce's uh, spot and those guys were bugging me saying bill you're a meteorologist you should be able to, to figure this trough out and give us some forecasts so, you know, I thought about it and I, I took it seriously and I was plugging away and I came up with ideas in my head. And some of the things from, from my work that helped out was um, this thing we call AP, anonymous propagation. And that's AP is what we see on the radar when there's um, inversions. The ducks, that's sort and of. And the radar okay. starts yeah. bouncing off and hitting the ground. And the ground is a great echo. So it shows up as red all over. So I looked at AP and I figured, you know, there's patterns and things that like weather forecasting is all about pattern recognition so i tried to okay there's got to be conditions that set up for this so I, I had my ideas i played around with an index to try to forecast it and that's when i started off the uh, what the guy suggested was like a little email group and initially it was just with me saul greg and bruce and then i thought you know i did this for a month or so. And I thought, you know, maybe do this for the whole club. So I did a daily one and there was a lot of work every day. I can't around imagine. Lunchtime, That's... I, I, I would do one for Eastern North America. And I had this, uh, this board in front of me with glass and China marker. And I would hand figure out where I thought the good trap wearers would be and figure out an index and write the number down. And then I made my map up. And then figure out where the good areas were. And then I'd, I'd type out, you know, from Memphis to, to Jackson, Mississippi to New Orleans or something. Kinda and like I would a, do that every day. It was like a like a summary of... Uh, like yeah, a like an area forecast. forecast discussion almost. like in, Yeah. In, okay. And, okay. and routes that I thought would be the best drop routes. And I think I did that for about maybe as two or three years. And finally in 2000, well, I, I started up my website around the same time back in 97, but it was just a DX Info Center with station listings. In 2000, I decided, you know, maybe I could just make this visual, put it on my website, and um, then I don't have to do all this intensive work of writing this up every day. So it's time to save time and also make it way more helpful to actually see it instead of just read about it. So I played with some software for displaying, uh, you know, your algorithms like displaying as weather, and I, I did it, and it looked it looked realistic. It had stuff along the ocean, it had the shores of the lakes and everything. So I was going to let it loose on my website, and then I thought to myself, you know, if it works here, it should work anywhere in the world. So instead of just doing North America, I did the entire world at one shot. I took a risk. I just said, okay. Tomorrow, yesterday there was no tropical forecast. Tomorrow there's one for the entire world. 
And that's what I did. I was in 2000. And uh, I was waiting for the feedback. I got feedback from DXers in Australia, DXers in Israel, wow. DXers in the UK. And, you know, there's there lots of times when it didn't work out because this is like brand new at the time. And, you know, since then, I've always been tweaking it, tweaking it, getting it better from feedback. Um, as far as verification, a lot of the guys were, were doing their own verification and putting it on the web. That really helped out. I had my own. And, of course, I had all the WTF DAers all reporting in. So I just kept tweaking and tweaking it. Now, my last tweak, I think, was about two years ago. And I'm at the point where I'm afraid to tweak it anymore because you might break things. You know, it's got there's so many tweaks that you don't know what you're doing anymore because you've you've tweaked it to the point where it, it's you can break it now. You know, do you understand what I mean? It's, there's so many little tweaks I've made that I, that they all inter interact and affect each other. Do you so I've just left it now. Do you have to know, like, is this, does this tie into like programming knowledge as far as tweaking it? Or can it be done sort of algorithmically where, um, you know, coding is not like how, if you did want to go into a tweak, um, like how exactly would that process work, at least in a, in a high level? Well, uh, anytime you have an algorithm, it's an approximation because every time we get tropical, it's not at the same elevation. It's not the same temperature humidity regime. So it, in order to forecast at your spot, say in New Jersey, you could have trap inversions at all these different levels. So how do you come up with one number to represent everything? So that's where you have what you call fudge factors. You have to take the different things that can cause tropo and you have to weight them to, you know, and then merge them all together into one. So what you're tweaking is you're tweaking the weighting. You're tweaking what things to add in. Should I add more levels in? Should I, you know, distance-wise, how much should I smooth it? All these kind of things. So those are those are the type of tweaks that you're doing. Um, when I started out, I started using the National Weather Service, uh, their main MET model. But there's a huge difference between the U.S. government and the Canadian government. The U.S. government websites are horrendously slow. I remember spending hours waiting for stuff to download. So I eventually switched to Canada. And it's just seemed the Canadian government's websites were just way faster. And it was more difficult to find the data versus the U.S. But once you did find it, it was faster. Now the U Canadian government has come along and everything's online, like all the, the weather models. So it's it's quite easy to download it. That's where so, we're at today. Would it be an accurate summary to say that you have these algorithms written and, and the way that the site works is it sort of waits once a day, it, it downloads all the, the raw weather data, it, it runs your algorithms on top of it and, and gets numbers and smooths out and then generates your maps all at once every day, just sort of on an automated basis? Exactly. And that's what I do is I, is I watch it. Because if it wasn't automated, I mean, there's still some DXers who thought that I literally hand draw the areas. <laughs> How would I do that? That you know? would be quite the undertaking. That's, yeah, so uh, that's... it has to be automated. Um, you know, I can always look at it and I can think to myself, I think that's overdoing it or it's underdoing it. But for me to actually go in there and try to manually edit it, it's impossible. So it has to be automated. And is it today still all based on the Canadian suite? Like, have you ever been, and, and you know, cost would probably be prohibitive here, but 
you know, from a very, again, sort of novice weather enthusiast view, I think the verification score is just as poor as weather forecasts, you know, like the ECMWF, the European uh, model, for example, um, always scores well. Like, has there been ever any thought from your vantage point to import other sources, you know, internationally? Um, or is it just still Canadian data today? Um, what's your thoughts there? I, I have done experiments with some of the other models and checked them out, and they just never seem to have enough of a consistent difference for me to change over spend to spend the time because okay. there's things that the european model does better there's things the canadian model does better there's things the american model does better they all have their own you know little things biases, that they're good at. And, biases. Yep. so i figure i have the canadian model it's it's covers the whole world and it seems to be doing a reasonable job i mean what can i do <laughs> i could is try issuing three different Tropical forecasts all conflicting with each other, but I don't think that would be good. No, that's that's fascinating. Um, and you know, I think I I I I think I think the the one thing that like when you think about forecasting, and obviously there's been a lot of improvements in in weather forecast verification over you know probably just the past two decades, but you still know that you know the percentages just would suggest like forecasting five days out is still inexact. Um, there's little nuances, you know, heck, little microclimates. I'm thinking like here on the East Coast in the spring where a backdoor cold front, I'm still pinpointing that it could be the difference between 55 and 75. And so you're just sort of extrapolating that into Tropo. So, you know, the point being, it's not easy. And yet, um, I feel like, you know, thinking about, I, you know, I, I always think of, um, in particular here, I, I, you know, it's always comes back to inland tropo for me. Um, but there was a big event on September 16th, 2020, probably my favorite DX event of all time. Um, and I remember, um, you know, just sort of, it, it was, I don't want to say expected, um, but there was a swath of green just from here in Jersey out into the Midwest and, lo and behold, that happened. Um, so like, has the success rate for you sort of matched um, weather forecasts? Is there an expectation that maybe it should be better because we're not so much concerned with, you know, if it's 74 versus 71, just whether or not there's tropo. Um, just talk about maybe how it's, how the results have evolved and, and have they met your expectation? Lisa? Well, the accuracy has improved in parallel with the weather models improving because the raw data comes from the weather models. So every time they, their information is more accurate, the tropical forecast information will be more accurate. Plus there's my, my, my tweaks over the years. Also the resolution has increased. Sometimes I've been forced to increase the resolution. Sometimes I think it makes it too noisy. Like I know if you remember further back, my tropo maps used to be a little more smoothed out and not as much fine detail. Now, if I smooth it out too much, uh, I'll be losing information that might actually be valid. Like some of the local effects in the valleys and around the lakes and shores. So I think I have, I, I try to get a balance and uh, without it being too noisy, I know it can look cluttered at, at times, but hopefully it's, it's, it's good for most people to, to oh, read. It's, it's a, it's a, 
it's an essential tool and, you know, we can't thank you enough for all the years of maintaining it. I guess kind of a final question about it. Like, do you have any advice for just people that load your map all the time and are, are I can thinking about what to, what to expect tips and tricks? Like, do you have any, any thoughts on, on a good way to interpret it in terms of the precision of, of locations and thinking about ducks, like any, any, tips for the mortals here well one thing is don't just look at the value right at your location because you can be within tropical scatter distance of a spot that's getting tropical and you'll get in on it so if there's something nearby don't rule it out say oh that's 200 miles away i'm not going to get it you could be on the tail end of it and sometimes you could get the best distances out of everybody because you're at the tail end so you've got the entire length of the duck plus a little extra added on um, however, if you do see, I, I try to draw these unstable areas where there's uh, inclement weather potential, not necessarily guaranteed, but where the potential is. And if you see one of those, it's usually a, a cold front or a warm front or something like that. And those are barriers that you can't really cross. So if you, if you see an area of tropical near you, but there's an area of instability in between, you probably won't get in on it. So it's most of the time, you can, but not if there's a, a barrier. Uh, the other thing too is a lot of these inversions can be, or ducks can be elevated. And that's a real pain. Sometimes I know there's ducting going on and none of us are getting in on it because we're all beneath the ducks. At ground level. And maybe if we're up in, a, up in a hill somewhere, we would get it. And that's probably where the tropical forecasts do the worst is in mountainous areas. Because if you're way up high in the mountains, you could be way above all the ducting area. You could either be too low too high and then there's the people in between that are right in the duct and getting something amazing so i in colorado i know um jim thomas used to live out there and he used to always bug me about the forecast out there <laughs> because it's it's hit and miss when you're up in the high elevations I, I, it's just hard I to quantify yep that's yeah, it's in San Francisco, LA, all those areas along the coast there. With the, the West Coast it's, has it's to tricky. be challenging too, which is the the marine layer, just just the different yeah. facets, and you know, you, you could move a mile, and the terrain could be so different. So I could, um, I could see that totally. So basically, I'm uh, hoping my forecasts are just showing that there's a potential for something. It may or may not happen. It's just like a weather forecast. Just because we say there's going to be drizzle or a thunderstorm might not happen. Does yeah. not always pan out. That's uh, does not always always pan out. So, is there like um, you know like mid continent like a, a you know just because I your point about a front being in between like rings so true like that's always sort of like heartbreaking here when there's a duct that lines up between North Carolina and Florida. That happens all the time. I don't want to say all the time, but very frequent on the East Coast. But inevitably, there will be some front, you know, parked around like Norfolk or something. And, you know, it, there's just no, it, no yeah. two ways around it. You're not going to get. So is there like if, you know, and, and we're still, you know, as long as as we have sort of this this ridge out here on the East Coast into, into mid-November, um, is there like on the weather map something that DXers might want to pay attention to, uh, depending on where they're at, um, that would normally, you know, be foreboding for Tropo that, that you've just watched uh, in, in your experience? Uh, well, the, the classic one is the, the stagnant high pressure ridge. A high pressure ridge, it's slow moving. The west side of them is good. 
um, as far as warm fronts, ahead of a warm front can have a, a mm. good inversions. Those are usually the tropical openings where it's drizzly or foggy and, you know, it's not exactly high pressure weather. Um, actually, the situation we're in here in southern Ontario right now, although the tropical is not that great and the forecasts don't show it, situations like this could in the right situation be good because what happens is we call this a dirty high. You've already got the moisture sitting there from a previous system and then a big fat high pressure system comes in and then high pressure, it's the reason it's high, it's because it's it's pushing down. Instead mm. of in low pressure air rises, high pressure air subsides. So when it subsides, it, it, it dries out and you're not going to usually get rain because it's the air sinking instead of rising. You need the air rising to get rain. But you can get some low fog and even drizzle caught underneath those dirty highs sometimes can be amazing so if you have a big fat high over your area but it's it's kind of gray clouds low clouds that's kind of what misty you're... foggy that can be good tropical weather i sure. feel like there was a um the opening where mike in connecticut connecticut i don't i don't want to mispronounce mike's last name again i think it's booyah i think that's I, um but in like it might be that's all you need um in 77 1977 when he had little rock uh via tropo wow. from connecticut it was you know just the way he described it i haven't looked up you know the surface map back then but just this uh, a dirty high and it was i think it was late august um and just spanning like the eastern part of the continent basically um and i think he and then fred who's now uh down in charleston south carolina but he was back back then he was near syracuse um i think they both had little rock you know the same stations i don't know if they knew it at the time they you know knew it afterward in the bud um but those are just the setups that you know that 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 we that we live for um so um it's just fascinating to hear kind of what goes in to try and predict it and i know like you know again it's just as you said it's not just us um it's people you know our our european friends um who watch this you know for example like i conversed with uh finn dx when i was out in finland um and the first thing he said was you just missed you know there was a great uh there was a nice little opening down um I, you know across the, the baltic sea um it was forecasted on on the hepburn map um and so like he you know we're so like everybody you know if you checked at 146 the timestamp you know, I don't know if you monitor IP addresses, there's a, a South Jersey IP, address. you know, it's like, it's like habitual. I just, even in February, I'm checking. So um, <laughs> it's, 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 you know, that, that's obviously my issue, um, but it, it's an awesome resource. So, um, you know, do you have any final thoughts, Bill, um, as far as uh, DX life, anything in general? Well, uh Back when the, when the uh, DTV conversion came, I remember people all doom and gloom about the hobby's ending, and I was optimistic, thinking that, hey, our low VHF is going to be open. And sure enough, it was, and all sorts of great things that we had that we could never get in the analog days. I mean, it's still analog days for Latin America, but for the Latin American DX. So I'm thinking, like, you know, for the future, we are going to have days where we're going to have an, an emptier FM band and we're going to get amazing stuff that, you know, we can only dream about now. Maybe channel five and six will be given over to FM mm. and we'll have a, an era of awesome DX. 
So I just want like optimism for for the, the future. I think TV stations are going to coalesce with uh, ATS three into like one one transmitter for multiple stations, and I think that's going to open up empty channels. So let's say be positive for TV and FMDX in the future. Hallelujah. That's, I think, a great way to conclude, not to mention the equipment coming down the road, too. So the future of the hobby is bright. Thank you for reinforcing that. And thank you for everything you've done uh, over all the years and many more to come, Bill. Uh, thanks for having me here, guys. It's been fun uh, chatting. Yes. And we uh, we have some good ideas for guests, maybe some tentative commitments. So stay tuned for more of these good interviews. Make sure to send us your feedback and continued audio clips, vhfdxpodcast at gmail.com. We'll hit that audio next and see you next time. And welcome to the audio spotlight for this episode. For regular listeners, you may have noticed thus far, we've been focused on the lucrative propagation mode of eSkip. As we go through the fall months in North America, we're adding some tropo into the mix today, in addition to lots of remaining eSkip as DXers review their summer recordings. Today we feature some excellent clips from some American DXers that we've yet to hear from in this segment. First, we mentioned the October 23rd East Coast US Tropo opening at the beginning of the show, and we received an excellent compilation of that opening from Chris Lucas of Poughkeepsie, New York. These stations need little introduction for those accustomed to coastal tropo along the East Coast. Many of them are quite common targets. But in this case, there's actually very little water between Chris's location, which is notably inland, in the area of eastern North Carolina where these stations are from. It's a largely overland path, and these stations are concentrated in an area about 450 to 500 miles away. It's about 800 kilometers from Chris. And need little introduction with great IDs and strong signals. Cheers to your excellent opening, and thanks for the submission, Chris. This pronouncement is brought to you by Bircher Incorporated, a marine and industrial machine and welding shop in Moorhead City. The rock is deep, but so are we. Oh, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Deep tracks. Only on the Outer Banks Pirate Radio, Rock 95.3, W-O-B-R. The Outer Banks Positive Encouraging K-Love, 97.1 WKHC, Hatteras. Reaching around the world at klove.com, your smart speaker, and the K-Love app. Local and loving our community. Loving our community. WDLZ is now Earl 98.3. About to rip off the week, the week. 101.9 KISS FM. The most music. All day long. V103.3, Carolina's best mix. The same fine music and ministry you listen to right now as you travel can be enjoyed in your home by logging on to fbnradio.com. So when you get home, log on to fbnradio.com. 106.5 WSFL. As we've discussed before, fall is a great time to dust off audio and IQ recordings and relive the glory of the summer. Justin Wolfing, a longtime DXer now living in Minneapolis, Minnesota, sends us a couple of fantastic audio clips from two new translators in his logbooks. 
For those not familiar with translators, this is a type of lower power station, often relaying an AM or FM station, and is limited to 250 watts here in the US. They've proliferated and polluted the dial in the US over the past several years, but the bright side is, with their multiplication comes a lot of interesting and challenging DX targets. Justin sends us two clips today and writes, I wanted to share this gem audio capture with you from this season's Ease Openings. There are actually two stations in this clip, and you'll hear the first one drop out and the second one start. The first one is a translator for KOA 850 AM from Denver, known as 94.1 K231BQ, licensed to Golden, Colorado. At the time of the recording, KOA was airing Coast to Coast AM and was the only station on 94.1 doing so. Immediately after KOA's translator was captured, KFTM 1400 AM in Fort Morgan, Colorado has a translator K231DB on 94.1 that came up right after. Both of these captures were on June 12th and were unattended. I was on vacation in Duluth, Minnesota. The night the opening happened, I was also hearing Skip, and I might note that that would be Tropo, 137 miles away in Duluth but had limited time to receive due to vacation activities. Both of these were captured on a Sony XDR S3 HD, being fed from a small four element Stellar Labs FM antenna. Justin goes on to write, I believe this was the first season that I've seen so many translators via eSkip and two from the same state back to back. Overall, 2022 was a great eSkip season, but nowhere near 2021, which I think we can all agree was the best of the seasons of our lifetimes. 2022 was a pretty prolific year in Minneapolis thanks to the majority of stations lacking HD due to tower work. This opened many frequencies up that would normally be covered by HD hash. It made for a good tropo session in August as well. I gained Kansas via tropo this year, previously heard via eSkip and Meteor Scatter only. The tower in Minneapolis was down for maintenance for over a month from July through August. Thank you for that note, Justin. And without further ado, let's go ahead and play that clip. Again, this includes two translators, which are located about 700 miles from Justin. That's about 1,100 kilometers. All that and more right here on 1400 KFTM. Finally, on the west coast of the U.S., which as a side note is a lovely treat to highlight today, we got a fantastic note from Eric in Aptos, California with a few excellent clips. Eric writes us and says, I've been looking at FMDX stuff around 2014 with some tropo and had sporadic E in 2016, but didn't take it seriously until 2018. I use an SDR Play RSPDX and a Stellar Labs 4-element Yagi on a makeshift PVC mast in my apartment. I'm located on the west coast of California, about 70 miles south from San Francisco in Aptos, around 260 miles west from Randy in Goldfield, Nevada, and it's amazing how much that distance changes things. Oftentimes he'll have openings and I have nothing. I figure it's largely due to the mountains here. With that said, DX is still very possible here and I have some empty channels. From my standpoint, 2022 was a very good year with several good openings. For some reason, it does seem like the Midwest and Southeast get more sporadic E compared to the West for some reason. 
Eric went on to share his new long distance record on eSkip. He heard this on July 17th, and as he notes, it's in the odd distance range around 1,600 miles, about 2,600 kilometers. At that distance, it's hard to tell whether that would be single or double hop, but Eric also reports that he was receiving 92.1 KCMT in Arizona at the same time. So for what it's worth, my money's on the double E's. Without further ado, here's that clip of the often reported KBTQ 96.1 in the far south Texas town of Harlingen. It should be noted, while there's not a positive audio ID of KBTQ in this clip, Eric did send a nice screenshot of RDS that decoded. Also, it's pretty consistent here with this American company advertising in Spanish that this would be consistent with KBTQ's format of Spanish oldies on 96.1. En One Park Financial somos expertos en vincular empresas con financiadores y podemos obtener el financiamiento que requiere rápidamente. Gana más de $7,500 al mes. Su negocio tiene al menos tres meses. One Park Financial puede On the other end of eSkip possibilities, Flagstaff, Arizona seems to be a magnet for short eSkip for Western DXers. If you'll recall, in the last episode, we shared Randy Zur's short eSkip record from a station in Flagstaff. Eric joins this club with this station at a distance of 587 miles, about 950 kilometers. And to boot, the station in question is only 100 watts in a category known as a low power FM or LPFM in the United States. The station's call letters are KXGC from a tower of about 20 meters above the ground. Relevantradio.com. Let us pray. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession was left unaided. Inspired with this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. And from another quite rare direction, Eric shares another cool short distance e-skip clip, this time to Portland, Oregon. This station, KYCH, goes by 97.1 Charlie FM. It's a higher power station than the last one, and the distance is just a little longer, around 600 miles or 1,000 kilometers. Listen to the commercial free all music workday on 97.1 Charlie FM. And yes, on weekends too. Finally, Eric shares another gem in our first clip beyond the confines of the FM broadcast band. This is on the 162 megahertz weather radio band that we discussed with Bill a little earlier in the show. It comes from Childress, Texas, about 1,220 miles from Eric, or just a little shy of 2,000 kilometers, and goes by the call sign KJY97 on 162.525 megahertz. You'll hear the distinct computerized voice of the American National Weather Service announcing some area weather conditions for Childress, the city of record for this station. Upper 60s. Monday, sunny. Again, the forecast for Childress and vicinity. For tonight, mostly clear. Lows in the mid-70s. South winds 15 to 20 miles an hour. Thanks again for these great clips, Eric, and we appreciate you listening and introducing yourself. Hope to hear from you again soon. Well, given that we ran a little long today, I'm going to save our favorite topics, which is our own DX, for the next episode. 
Nick and I have some audio in the hopper that's raring to go. But more importantly, we want to keep hearing from you and highlighting your DX. Please keep the clips coming and do feel welcome to send us more, even if you've been featured before. It's a small community and that's not a faux pas. Before we wrap up, I did have one small correction that was sent to me. In the previous episode, we featured a station from Jim Thomas and I incorrectly identified its location. His reception of the 87.5 station called Radio Creciendo en Gracia is actually from San Cristobal de las Casas, which is a town in Mexico's southernmost state of Chiapas. It's a pretty notable correction here since Chiapas is a rarely reported area of Mexico. It's on the long end of the single hop e-skip range about 1420 miles from Jim. Thanks for sending us that correction, Jim. And thanks to all of you for the continued submissions. We look forward to hearing from you with your clips and anecdotes at vhfdxpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, which I think is December, good DX and thanks for listening.